Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and I'm flying solo again today. Uh, Jen's still really wrapped up in work stuff, and she had these uh, classes she's studying for this uh, certification thing. And our weekend's been really taken up by a lot of little wedding things here and there. So as we get busier and busier, uh, it's harder and harder for us to time find to do this together. To find time to do this together, I should say. And uh, so I wanted to get out here. I'm doing this on Tuesday mornings now just to kind of get something out there, you know, and to, to still keep the, the train rolling and keep keep us going in these uh, super busy times. Uh, so with that being said, uh, oh, actually, let me let me tell you this. So what we did yesterday was, uh, or excuse me, Sunday, was we had a cake tasting. So we went to festival and uh, we we had them make what we want. What we really want is our wedding cake is a, uh, is a tuxedo cake. And it has like, different layers and it's like a white cake, but then it's got like a like a cheesecake layer and then like a chocolate layer and so like it it tastes almost like a refrigerated like ice cream cake almost if it wasn't ice cream but just like almost like a frozen pudding and uh yeah so she was mimicking something that we've had before at like other stores but those stores couldn't provide uh because they just buy it like in sheets and so we uh we tasted it and it was just way too sweet like i don't know what the person who made the cake was thinking like i don't i couldn't see eating more than one piece of this like like half a piece of this cake let alone multiple people like enjoying it. i mean it was super 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 sugary so uh so we have to keep searching and the search goes on now there's a bakery in oshkosh i think we're looking at next but um anyway that's just kind of keeping us busy that's you know as as really the only day that jen and i have off together is sunday so we try to get these things done like that but there's also a time where we'd like to spend time together and relax and do other things so and obviously, wedding stuff we like to do together, so that's all right. It happens. Um, but you know, as the sh- as I say, the show will go on, and we'll keep it going here for you guys. Uh, so the first, you know, I guess the sun came up this morning, which means there's another lawsuit filed against Nintendo <laughs> because that just seems to be every week, every day. Uh, there's just something new. Uh, so Nintendo is being sued over the design of the detachable Switch console controllers. So there's a company called Game Vice. And they make game controllers for tablets and smartphones. And they're claiming that they have a patent for a device that's two controllers that would slide on the side of, say, an Android phone or a iPhone ta- or an iPad, uh, an Apple tablet, something like that. And I'll be honest, when I see the first picture, which is a Game Vice controller being used on the Apple's iPad mini, it looks like the switch <laughs> so it looks like you've got this 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 pad in the middle and then you've got two controllers that seemingly would slide down or somehow attach to the sides uh so there's something to be said there uh as far as similarity in design uh i will make a quick note as i'm looking at the same picture however that on the right side there are buttons that are x y b and a and they are the exact same font and color of the xbox one buttons so I guess if they want to get picky about people infringing other people's designs, I mean, you kind of ripped off Microsoft there. But whatever, you know, it, it's not about that, right? Microsoft's not to pay to sue them, right? Maybe they would. Uh, anyway, so the uh, the Switch has sold 4.7 million units already. Uh, now here's the statement from GameVice uh, for the lawsuit. So they... Uh, they're demanding that Nintendo stops making and selling the Switch, and they want to be awarded damages. Here's the quote. Quote, Nintendo's infringement has caused, and is continuing to cause, damage and irreparable injury to GameVice. The company said in its complaint filed, end quote, sorry. The company said in its complaint filed in California on Wednesday. So I want to stop right there for a minute. So 
these guys, I mean, I understand it's a lawsuit. And the point of your lawsuit is to try to show, hey, I think these guys copied our design. I think there's a problem. We want them to either pay us royalties on that design, on that patent, or we want you to stop making it. Like, if they really feel it's egregious, they'll be like, stop making it now. But to say that Nintendo's infringement has caused and is continuing to cause damage and irreparable injury to the company seems completely ridiculous to me. If anything, the Switch and its success and popularity, I think, would make that device more appealing. In fact, they could switch their marketing and say, hey, you know, people who have the Switch, check this cool device out. Very similar. You know what I mean? Like, they, they could take this and spin it in a way and say, hey, look, we were doing it before Nintendo. We were the innovators. They're the imitators and that sort of thing but instead they're just they're, they're going after it this way and who knows maybe that'll be part of the agreement maybe they'll sign a deal with nintendo where nintendo says well you can use like our name to promote it as far as saying like oh the switch like device or i mean you could even see something like game vice get authorized from nintendo to put nintendo properties on their thing like you never know what the actual motivation is uh i wish i knew how well this company is doing because if the company's in the toilet or if it's a really small company, which it seems to be compared to, say, someone like Nintendo, then they might be doing this as a way to try to save themselves or, like, get recognition, which is the most ridiculous and irresponsible reason to do such a thing. When you have a legitimate claim, like, say, and to be fair, if they're the little guy and they created this device and Nintendo stole it from them, they deserve to be compensated for that. But what they're doing is a little bit different, obviously. They're taking someone else's pre-existing device and they basically, basically what they made is a controller that you can wrap around an iPad and it then works instead of having to use the touchscreen. So, okay, so that's a little different than the Switch controllers. Um, however, I did look up the patent, and I don't know if you've ever looked up a patent before, but oh my god, there's a lot of stuff to read. And it's really boring legal jargon that's repeated just over and over again. Uh, so... I'll, I'll give you the, the basics of it, which is uh, the very intro, which this is the patent that uh, GameVice uh, has filed, and they filed this on September 8, 2015. And as we know, the Switch was announced, I believe, like summer of 2016 or something like that. Like they announced what it was, or it came out fall of 2016, which was a year later, and then it, obviously it released in March of 2017, just this year. And uh, has sold a staggering 4.7 million units already. Uh, but anyway, so here's the uh, here's the abstract definition of this patent: a combination generally directed to a combination computing device and game controller. The computing device provides a plurality of sides in which each of the sides are disposed between an electronic display screen and the back of the computing device. So now, obviously, the switch doesn't necessarily go to the back of the computing device. But it does go on the sides like this patent seems to protect this company from. Uh, the game, uh, back to it. The game controller provides a communication port interacting with the computing device. The communication port providing a communication link and a pair of confinement structures. The pair of confinement structures adjacent to and confining the computing device on at least two opposing sides of the plurality of sides of the computing device. So it's literally saying that it, it, it's part of the patent is having a lock on the side so that the device can snap in, which the Switch does. I mean, this, you know, this is quite interesting. Uh, but back to it. Uh, an input device attached to and an electric communication with the communication port. The input device is a separate and distinct structure from the communication port, forming no structural portion of the communication port. 
Okay, so as you can see, it's a lot of that's the that's the easy version. Later, they get down to this like, what is claimed is a combination comprising a computer device. The computer device provides a plurality of sides. We read all that again. So same thing. I have to be honest. Uh, love the Switch, love Nintendo. These guys seem to have this locked up. I hate to say it. Um, these guys created a device that goes on the side of another device that's a computing device. So a game console could be considered that or a tablet or a computer and it's controllers that slide on the side. Now, I don't know if Nintendo will be able to get around it because they made the device as well. So they have, a, I'm sure, a patent on the Switch and maybe that patent on the Switch says something like they have a, as long as they are the ones who make the device, that they can have the sliding controllers on the side. I don't know. Uh, it, 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 time will only tell with something like this, and it obviously depends on what everyone's motivations are. Sometimes the company that's suing is just literally trying to protect their patent, because if they don't try to protect it against Nintendo, another company could copy them, and they come out and say, well, they take it to the court and say, oh, this other copy co company copied us, and that other company will say, well, Nintendo copied it and you didn't say anything about that and since it's okay for nintendo to do it it's okay for us to do it and, and that's a real thing um a lot of times people get upset at lawsuits that like big companies will file over like copyright claims over different things but part of the reason is they have to protect their ip their intellectual property and if they don't protect that ip from other infringements then they can future violators can use that lack of protection of their IP against them and say, well, they didn't try to stop this guy and this guy was closer to a ripoff than we are. So we should be okay. Very weird stuff. Our, our country is very screwed up when it comes to um, lawsuits and litigation. It's really sad, uh, quite honestly. And you also have the stories, and I don't think this is necessarily the case, but you also have what they call patent squatters in this country. And so people will make patents for items they never made or for items they made just to hold a patent. And it'll say something very, very basic uh, and very, um, which obviously the point of a patent office when they provide the patent for something, you're not supposed to be able to provide something very vague. They want it to be very precise so that you can't just lay a, a blanket over a certain category. And, but people will do that and they call them patent squatters. And then so someone will come along and create a really interesting device, and this guy's like, well, I, I hold the patent on having a glass screen that you can touch to interact with buttons. And so then I, I, Apple's like, oh, well, okay, so we'll pay you like a million dollars to shut up about it. And that's what they do, and that's how they make their money. Like, that's a legitimate thing that, uh, that companies do. Uh, so I have, so a couple of things here. One, I think they're being a little over-exaggerating about the damage, quote-unquote, that Nintendo's causing them, because if anything, it's going to help them I mean, they might look like a knockoff company, like they're knocking off the Switch when in actuality they came out before. But that doesn't mean that also looking similar means that sometimes you get a little more rep because people look at your device and say, oh, it's, is that like the Switch? And and even though the Switch did all the heavy lifting with the marketing to promote that that idea is feasible, even though you were first, you're you're gaining from that. You know, and so I'm a little disappointed that they they're they're acting like they lost money. But that's that's court jargon. That's lawsuit jargon. Like you have to say that sort of stuff. So there's that. And on the flip side, though, I, there's they have a legitimate complaint, in my opinion. Like, what they've designed and what they're explaining in this patent is exactly what the Nintendo Switch is. So then I have to ask myself, did Nintendo go out looking for this? Like, Nintendo has to have a lawyer, like a patent lawyer, or something that goes out looking for this sort of stuff. Like, you have, when, when, like, when you make a video game, you have to have, you have, like, a... 
I mean, it's a lawyer, but they basically go through. You have a, like a, a law department, and they go through and they make sure that you're not infringing on any names in the game. All your content's legal. You know, you don't have any like they're they're basically in charge of making sure you don't get sued later. And so something like this, it's not it's not like somebody came out and said, "Oh, we want to have a controller that each fits in one hand and you can play on a tablet with." You know, like that. This would be like, "Oh, well, it's different." You know, this literally says it's controllers that slide onto the side of a tablet or a computing device. <laughs> I mean, it's it's quite literally what the Switch is. So if you didn't know better, you'd think that like Nintendo saw this and was like, "Oh, we can copy that." Obviously, it didn't. This patent was filed well into the Switch was already into early stages of development, at least enough where they'd have core concepts. Maybe not development, obviously, at that point in production. But this patent was filed while they were designing. And, and, and if you look at something like the Wii U, the Switch is clearly in the natural progression from the Wii U. It, it's everything they wanted to do with the Wii U but couldn't do. So I don't believe Nintendo did anything bad here or wrong, but they might end up having to pay something for this. And I don't think I've ever heard one of these cases with a bigger company and a smaller company um, suing them where the bigger company actually had to stop making what they're making. Because obviously, if by some crazy chance they they shut down the sales of this device, uh, of the Switch, like, that's the whole system. Nintendo can't redesign the Switch unless they would redesign it just as a tablet and pack in a Pro Controller. You know what I mean? But that's very, I mean, it's possible, but not very likely. Most likely what happens is this company says, well, we want $1 from every Switch you sell. Or whatever they, the dollar amount they come to. And Nintendo goes, fine, just take some money and shut up. Let us keep making our system and just leave us alone. <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, that was my issue. I just kind of felt like Game Vice was a little overdramatic in what they were saying. Uh, let's see here. Anything else about that? I don't think so. Yeah, it, it. so Game Vice wants the court to award its damages. And it wants to order Nintendo to stop making, using, and selling the Switch. <laughs> but it did not it did not say how much in damages they want. So that's what you do. You ask for a high ridiculous thing and then you compromise down to what you actually wanted. So like if you really want 20 bucks for something, you start asking 30 and then you let someone bring it out to 20 and then you're happy. So that's how it works. Uh so moving on from that, you know, I'm sure next week we'll have another lawsuit to talk about cuz it seems like we all we ever talk about on here. But it happens often so so damn often now. Uh so this week uh, last week, I probably should say, last week, uh, it started, uh, No Man's Sky has been making some rumblings lately, and last week, they released, I don't know if it's actually out now, let me take a look here, if it's, either it's out, uh, yeah, okay, it seems like it is out, okay, so I was gonna say, either it's out, or they announced that it's coming out, and so they have what they're calling the Atlas update for No Man's Sky, a game that I sometimes dub as No Man's Fun, um, because we've talked about this a lot. If you've listened to all the podcasts, like you, I have a massive, massive hatred for this game, uh, just because of how we were manipulated into buying it. The game itself is fine. And as a $20 indie title, it would have been fine. But as a $60 full release, what we got at launch was crap. Uh, but anyway, it's called No Man's Sky Atlas Rises. So they're, and I have to give them credit here. They're releasing a free update. That's going to add 30 more hours of gameplay. Now, this is supposed to include uh, multiplayer. So, this... And now, I, I saw a picture of it where it looks like the other person is literally just like a speck, like a star on the screen. Like, they're not a character walking around. So, it's still kind of lame. But they finally got that, which is, by the way, something they promised would be in the game at launch, which has been a year and a half ago already. So, uh, it's uh, graphical tweaks... Uh, there is 
new biomes, which biomes are like the worlds in the game. So like desert would be a biome, jungle's a biome, winter is a biome. Like that. That's if you play Minecraft, you kind of understand the terms that are other survival games. Um, and then now, so on the surface, you go, oh man, that's really awesome. Like they're adding a ton of free content to this game, and everything's fine. And I guess I still believe that. However, nothing's going to bring me back to this game. This game was such a disappointment to me. And the fact that, that there was so much hidden and so much, like, tomfoolery and, and shystering going on in the beginning of this game, how it released and how they said all this stuff was going to be in it. And then when they asked him questions like, can you do this? And he would just look and be like, this goofy look on the guy's face would just say, well, maybe you should play it and find out. Ooh. And then everyone would get all hyped up and amped up. And you're like, why don't you just answer the question, dude? But we were all suckers. We all wanted to be good. You know, we, we believed the hype, as they would say. And uh, so anyway, it's it's going to have this joint exploration feature. Uh, there's orbs or something that can uh, tell you if there's other players, and they can they can communicate with voice chat. So these are all things. Now, I, I give them credit. These They're releasing a bunch of free content a year and a half later to almost as an apology. Like, this is their way of keeping the game going and I'm very happy with that but this is what should have been in the game at launch for $60 when the game launched if it had come out at 20 bucks oh sign me up still I would have had no problem with it but the 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 the, the shady business and the price point way off just way off don't like it uh but it's a year and a half after release sorry I can't believe it's been a year and a half since I bought that game it, it feels like it hasn't been that long I don't know where the time goes lately but it feels like it hasn't been that long and so I'm happy for the people that are happy with the game, that they're getting new content, the people that still play it. But I look at this as one of those just epically missed opportunities of all time. You know, this was a game that had a really passionate crew behind it, and then they just kept adding stuff and adding stuff, uh, uh, something we call feature creep in the business, which is basically means you keep adding features and your scope of your project keeps growing. And as the scope increases, the cost increases. And then eventually you've got so much stuff happening that you haven't finished anything and your game is just not really on track. And so I'm happy that these guys are getting this stuff all out. And I'm happy for people if they really enjoy playing this game. But as someone who bought it, was irritated by it, I'll never go back to it. It doesn't matter what they do. I mean, maybe, I guess maybe if they refunded me half my money, I might try it again, but it, I don't think so. Uh, but I don't know. It just it just feels like one of those things that had such an opportunity to be one of the greatest games that has ever come out, fulfill the promises they made, and nope, they just couldn't do it. Um, so I don't want to detail some of the stuff in the patch. Um, so there's a new story. Uh Apparently, the fabric of existence is starting to fall. I'm reading this off the main. I'm reading off their bullet points off their main site. A mysterious new interdimensional race has appeared. Glitches are causing ancient portals to activate. Our story brings a new context, quest system, and branching narratives to No Man's Sky. Okay, that's good stuff. Uh, they say there's 30 hours of new content. There's double the lore and interactions of the existing game. Uh, you discover the truth behind the abandoned building logs, the world of glass, the sentinels, the redemption of the Gek, and the meaning of 16. Uh, after Waking Titan, Atlas Rises. I don't know what Waking Titan is, but uh, maybe that was the last expansion. I don't know. So, let's see. A regenerated system adds wealth, economy, and conflict levels to star systems that control this. The galaxy map has been overhauled. Uh, you can install galactic technology to be able to filter the map by life form, wealth, and economy. 
I don't know what that means. Improved waypointing and navigation allows you to see your journey so far from beginning to end. I also heard they're adding like portals or something so you can teleport. You can fast travel around. I guess that's cool. So, I don't know. This is it. This is No Man's Sky. Again, just trying to, in my opinion, regain its faith from its customers and maybe even from Sony too. Like, Sony helped market the hell out of that game for the PS4. And I wonder if, you know, for them to... For their next game, if they don't redeem this game, they'll have no chance with their next game. And which isn't necessarily fair, but it is true. And they have a lot of responsibility to make their cust to, to have their customers see them in a positive light for their own well being in the future. And if they don't turn it around, ugh, I don't know, man. It could be scary. It could be real sketchy for them. And I hope they do. Honestly, anyone in the video game industry, you never want someone to fail. I want them to learn from this mistake, and I want I want him as a young developer. Uh, I forget his name now, but the guy who is in charge of everything. Like I want him to learn as a young developer the things you can't do. You know, Peter Molyneux, uh, famously from the creation of Fable and Black and White and um, Dungeon Keeper and all these great Lionhead Studio games from back in the day. He never learned that lesson. He overhyped all of his games, and I don't think he did it maliciously. Like I do believe that Peter Molyneux saw these things he wanted to put into his game, and then he couldn't. He he was too excited to not share it, and then he shared it, and then they never ended up making the final cut, and we all felt like we got lied to. Like like in the original Fable, you were supposed to be able to. Oh, if you get hit a lot in combat, you're gonna get scars, and those scars will stay with you as you grow up over time. None of that stuff ever happened. You know, he wanted you to age over time, and if you if you spent more time out in the sun, you would you'd have like darker skin and if you you know you'd become more pale if you spent a lot of time going through caves and and just a little something like that like those are the things he promised us and then never delivered on even by the end of the fable universe by fable 3 he wasn't able to do that on the 360 which should have easily been able to handle any sort of you know technical issues that might have come up from those but i would uh, sean murray that's his name i just thought of it so sean murray the de the head the lead developer um behind no man's sky i'd like to see him make a resurgence too but i'd like him not to follow the same point as molyneux if they do their next game and he starts just hyping all this stuff i just don't see anybody believing him i know i won't you know but i need him to come out and just say you know what i made a mistake last time i really i poured my heart and soul into a game and i told everybody what i wanted to be in it not what would be in it and i'm going to fix that here so i'm going to tell you right now what's going along you know, please join me for this journey, yada, yada, yada. And people will follow you if you're honest with them. But when you're when when you've been busted of uh, and having shady stuff and feeling like you've manipulated your customers, they're not going to trust you again. We're quite fickle as customers. Uh, so moving on from No Man's Sky, because I really don't care that much about that game. There was a uh, an interesting story that came out about six people in Santa Clara, California being arrested and charged was selling arcade cabinets full of counterfeit games. So, uh, that's basically what you have seen around, I'm sure for sale in your local areas. I know, I, I probably shouldn't admit this, I have one at the store. Uh, I don't sell it, I don't make money on it, I just have it because I think it's cool. Uh, and obviously, like for me as a, as a, as a lover of games, but an owner of a game store, I'm torn. Because as an owner of a game store, I clearly don't condone piracy. It's something that hurts my business. I think it's a strange way to collect. And I, I think that it's not good for games in general. But also from a game player or a game collector perspective, I think it's really cool. And like, I love the fact that I have an arcade with 700 games on it that I can just play whenever I want. As opposed to trying to collect 700 arcade games. I would never be able to do that. I'd never have a house that could hold all that stuff. So... 
the story comes out, and these six people from Santa Clara, California, have been arrested and charged with selling cabinets full of counterfeit games, and that's in quotations. The idea is that they're basically selling MAME cabinets, or there's uh, JAMA boards you can buy. They're elves. They're called elf boards, and they basically are like 750 games in one, or whatever. And uh, the San Francisco Chronicle reports a woman, her son, her ex-husband, and three others were arrested on Thursday and accused of forging and selling arcade cabinets that played classics such as Galaga, Tank Battalion, and five different versions of Pac-Man. So these are these are emulator machines or they're elf boards, one or the other. And these guys were building them, making them, and selling them for profit. So how much profit, you ask? Well, apparently uh, damages... Uh, the prosecutors say that the six have been charged with a total of 14 counts of felony counterfeiting. And they're saying in addition to possible fines and prison time, there is a maximum sentence of 11 years. The money accused made from selling the machines and the stuff they bought with it might be seized. Here's the interesting part. What's on that list of stuff that could be seized? Uh, well, there's a 2012 Mercedes Benz. <laughs> there's a 2015 BMW. There's five properties. Now, I don't know if those properties could literally be a shack in the woods, but there's five properties and $1.2 million in cash. So I don't know how many of these arcades they were selling, but holy crap, $1.2 million cash, two sports cars, and five properties? Wow. So you want to talk about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. You know what I think is appropriate? I think building one or having someone build you one, maybe paying him for his time and his labor to build the arcade cabinet, I think that's fine. I think that's okay. I'm okay with that. That, to me, is appropriate because you know what? You're appreciating the history of arcade games. You're trying to keep it alive as arcades in this country are dead. Try to do everything you can. However, I think we can draw the line at selling so many freaking systems <laughs> that you made $1.2 million in cash. Because if you assume, okay, let's let's do some some rickety math in my head here real quick. I'm, I'm just lying. I'm not going to do it in my head. I'm going to do it on a calculator. So these machines roughly cost about, uh, let's say, 600 to $1,000 a piece. So we're just going to say $1,000. So we're going to say $1.2 million. I'm going to get my calculator here. $1,200,000. And then we divide that by a thousand because that's the price that equals well i guess it's not as many as i thought about 1200 arcade machines so i guess that 1.2 million seemed inflated at first so these guys sold about 1200 of these arcades to make that now to be fair are they making 1.2 million probably not i mean obviously money goes into buying stuff resources building time but let's realistically say out of that 1.2 million they probably made at least least a couple hundred thousand dollars i mean at least or you wouldn't do it because if it wasn't worth your time you wouldn't do it so but also think about this now i don't know how long this was going on that'd be something i'd like to hear like uh because if it was a couple years i could see that 1200 systems over the course of three years so that's 400 units a year so that breaks down <laughs> i love my podcast math here um, so that breaks down to about 33 machines a month. So that's about a machine a day that they were selling. That's a lot. That's a lot. And I don't know if like 
the the guy I bought mine from, he he doesn't do it to make money. He just had like a bunch of old arcades. Like mine, my arcade cabinet is actually a, a recycled arcade cabinet. So that didn't take much work. He painted it and replaced the buttons and sticks and got everything working. But I guess that would take probably a day or two, you'd think, to make that. So these guys must have had some sort of operation. That's the point I'm getting to. They had some sort of operation to be able to manufacture these on a faster level, to be able to sell more than one a day, to sell 30 a month. Yeah, that's that's a lot, you know? Um, because if you look at that, they were making 33 and about 1,000. Yeah, 33,000 a month they were bringing in from this. That's a lot. Uh, so again, I, I think it's appropriate when it comes to emulation if you do it in moderation. I, I truly believe that. So I own a copy of Snatcher on Sega CD, so technically I'm allowed to play that on an emulator. But even if I didn't own that game, if it's not available digital anywhere, the only person who's going to make money off it is someone reselling it on eBay. It's not like that money's going to Sega or it's going to Konami or Kojima. So you might as well just play it if you can play it. If you don't have access to buy it, I would still think you'd want to play that game and I think as a gamer, you should be allowed to play that game. Now, it's a different story than, say, we're talking about with, you know, like a game that just came out. And and so, like, Sonic Mania, for instance, just came out today. And, which I hopefully will have a first 30 going on later. Sonic Mania comes out today. And everyone decides to pirate it instead of buying it. Well, that hurts Sega. That hurts the company. That hurts future releases because you're not supporting the game. You know, and I understand, and and I guess so. Maybe what I'm thinking is it's okay with the stuff with retro games and games that aren't available. And I'm even saying like, if you can buy the game on the Nintendo eShop, you should buy it there, because if it's like six dollars for Super Metroid or whatever it is, that's an unbelievable deal, and it's way cheaper than buying a physical cartridge if you don't want to collect it. But if you don't even want to pay six dollars, and so you don't even buy it on that system and you just emulate it, that seems odd to me. Like, you have a way of buying this game, and you should buy it, and you should support them. You know, and I always don't like the argument that people are like, oh, it's a big money with lo- a big company with lots of money. It's not about that. It should be about the love of the game, and I'm cool with that if that's your... I, I think it's fair to, without getting preachy here, I think it's fair to... It's all about intention, and if your intention is to not buy any more games... Like, I knew a guy when I worked at the De Pere GameStop, like, a decade... Well, no, it was, God, 13 years ago or something, maybe something like that. Uh, and the, as soon as he got an R4 card, which is a device you plug into your DS that lets you play DS ROMs on your DS, the day he bought that, he canceled all of his pre-orders and never bought another DS game. I mean, how ridiculous is that? So that, that to me is completely out of bounds. That's ridiculous, and that is inappropriate. But say, like for me, I have a PSP, which I like to take with me on the go, and I have loaded my PSP with every one of my PS1 games, and I've loaded it with every one of my console games in case I want to take it with me. It's so nice and convenient to have one little device that can play all my Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Genesis, and PS1 games. It's incredible. So of course that's what you want. And that should be fine. And I think that is fine. I think that's appropriate. And I, th- I don't think anyone would ever get in trouble with that. And honestly, these companies aren't going after people that do that. They're going after people trying to profit off of this sort of thing. Because if anyone's going to make profit off it, it should be the original company. Or, or at the very least, the person like someone selling Snatcher on eBay, you know, it's, it's, don't be mad at him because he bought a game and then held it for a couple years, wanted to sell it for more money than he bought it for. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing dirty about that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so anyway, that's kind of my, my little rant on this story. I actually was mostly impressed at how much money they made doing this because it's kind of incredible that they made 
one point they had 1.2 million in cash, two sports cars, and five properties off of this business. Now, to be fair, they may not have bought all that stuff with the money from this operation, but that's what they seem. The prosecutor seems to be alleging. So I'll hopefully have a follow up on this story. But also an interesting little tidbit with it is that um, all the games that they listed, uh, Galaga, Tank Battalion, and five different versions of Pac-Man, are all games from Namco Bandai. And it's funny that the American offices of Namco Bandai are in Santa Clara, where these guys were busted. So it makes me wonder if someone who works at Namco, these guys must have been advertising on Facebook or Craigslist or locally somehow. Uh, maybe they had a website even built for it. And so someone from Namco was like, holy crap, look at this. We should stop these guys. And since they were in the same city, it was probably really easy for them to like go down there and talk to somebody about building them one and ask how it works and then have them get busted. Uh, so, yeah. And the fact that they got arrested means they put some work into it and they filed a police report. The police looked, in, police looked into it and it was enough to get them arrested. I mean, eh, that's pretty impressive. But again, $1.2 million selling fake arcades. Oh, that that's That's out of bounds, people. That's out of bounds. And so lastly, uh, th that was my last news story to talk about, but I came across an interesting article from a couple years ago that was refreshed, and I thought it was really fun, so I wanted to go through this. So this is uh, video games that got weird name changes in other countries. I thought this would be kind of fun, because I always find this interesting, and I, I was uh, just having a conversation with somebody about this the other day, because uh, he, he was ill-informed about our first one I want to talk about, which is Contra. So... In Europe and in Japan, the game is different. In Japan, the game is called Grizor, which is really interesting. Uh, I should say, it on um, in the arcade in Europe, it's still called Grizor. But in Europe, when it came on the Nintendo, they changed the name to Probotector. And a lot of people think that Probotector came first, and then they edited it in the U.S. Uh, to be more like army stuff, and that's actually wrong. It was always originally a an army simulator with, with quote unquote humans. But, uh, because of political scandals in the late, uh, or excuse me, because of, um, politically correctness in the late eighties, uh, in Europe, when it came out in Nintendo, they didn't want kids being a, a human killing other humans. So they swapped all the models to look like robots. So they actually changed not only, uh, the name of the game, but quite a bit of the game itself, uh, just to make it work for, the European market on the NES, which is kind of interesting. Now, um, there are different theories, and nothing is known for sure, but when they brought it to the States and they called it Contra, a lot of people uh, theorize that it's possibly because of the Iran-Contra affair, which was kind of a political scandal in the late 80s. Basically, it had to do with the U.S. selling guns to Iran in order to... Um, have prisoners released it was kind of like a, a backdoor sort of thing and that's kind of why it became controversial was because it wasn't they didn't do this in the light of the public it later came to light uh and then those guns were going to be used to like equip um other uh liberators like around the world so a lot of people think that it might have been because of that which i think is certainly possible but there's another one another theory here that uh, let me bring it up here so then there's another one that uh um, there's, there's a Contrapedia, <laughs> which is a Wikipedia for Contra. The word Contra was created as a kind of play on words from Japanese kanji. And the three words pronounced are Kon, To, Ra. They were combined, but Contra is also a real word, uh, which again, we talked about the, uh, the Iran Contra, uh, issue. So, uh, yeah. And like I said, it was renamed to Grizor for the European market, uh, when it was, um, 
for the NES. I guess the arcade it was still known as Grizor. But yeah, that was an interesting one. So obviously I want to start with Contra because that's one of the most popular, most well-known games. But interesting. Um, this one I also found very interesting. So on PS2 and then later on 360, but initially on PS2, there was a game that came out by Rockstar called Bully. And if anyone remembers this, I remember this quite thoroughly. Bully is a game that's actually, for the record, is rated T for Teen. And the story is you're a kid who is in high school. You're like a private school. And you're kind of dealing with all the stuff going on in the school. There's bullies. There's girls. Like, you, you're actually helping people out. You're not the bully, for the record. But in the wake of all this madness that was happening, Grand Theft Auto was as controversial as ever. Everybody was freaking out about it. And so when Bully came out, there were websites or newspapers and websites that were literally claiming that Bully was Grand Theft Auto in schools. And so you're going to be able to play Grand Theft Auto, but as a school kid shooting up schools. And as we all know, there were a lot of school shootings that were happening in our nation at that time. And so, and, and this actually wasn't edited in our country, but it was in another country that was similar. So anyway, there was controversy around the game is the point I was making. So there was also, uh, which is funny because it's not what affected the name change in the UK, which is what I'm getting to. But here there was a lot of controversy too. But it was really fake and false. Like they didn't understand what the game was actually about. It was kind of frustrating. But understandably, when you make games like Manhunt and Grand Theft Auto, and you always push the boundaries of what's decent like Rockstar does, you're going to catch flack whenever you release a game that's not like that. But anyway, Bully, by the way, is an excellent, excellent game. I highly recommend it. So anyway, in the UK, Bully was renamed to Canis Canum Edit. Yes, you heard me right. Canis Canum Edit. Bully, uh, there was a huge movement of anti-bullying, and anti-bullying organizations campaigned against the game's release. Uh, and the country's rating board gave it a 15 rating, which is like for 15 and up. They have a system called uh, PEGI. So it's like PEGI 18, PEGI 15. That's the European ESRB rating, which is like our... T for teen, M for mature, whatever. And so they gave it that rating. And even people were like yelling at them saying, that's all oh, you're, what are you doing wrong? That's inappropriate. But again, the bully organizations didn't realize that this game is not about you being the bully. This game is about you protecting people from the bully and fighting against the bully and fighting against all those crappy high school cliques and systems. So anyway, uh, later on, it came out for the Wii and the 360. It was called the Bully Scholarship Edition. Then it, in the UK, the bully title was allowed when it came out even though it's still called uh, Cost Controversy. But what a weird name. And I don't know, I haven't played the game in a long time, but I feel like the Canis Canum Edit is, it's like a title that, uh, let's see here if there's, if there's a reason behind it. Like it might be in the game or something. So let's see. Uh, let's see here. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't say like what that, what, what that actually means in the game it looks like or what why they named it that uh let me take a look and you know i'm gonna do some on the spot to detective work here and uh we're gonna look this up probably should have done this before um all right let's take a look here so um uh, why is the message changed i don't know yeah, I can't seem to find like why they called it that. Um, a more cultured Canis Canum edit, or oh, it means dog eat dog in in uh, 
in Latin. Okay, well, that's really cool. So that, that's actually kind of even more cool. I, I don't know why they didn't just call it dog eat dog. Maybe maybe that would have gotten controversy too. But okay, so canis canum edit in Latin means dog eat dog, uh, which I guess is also appropriate when you've got someone in school like fighting back against the bullies and using their tactics against them. So okay, I'm on board with that. That was neat. Okay, uh, that's, that's why we look things up. That's why we do research. Uh, okay, so let's see. The next one that's cool... Uh, let's see here. Elabits got renamed. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I think it was originally called LEDs, but then it was like a plan words like like televisions are LED televisions. So Elabits, LEDs. Eh, who cares? It's not really that important. Um, one that I'm familiar with. Uh, there's in Japan they just made a Game Boy Color version of Metal Gear Solid, uh, which was originally supposed to be a remake, but it ended up being a totally different game because it's really difficult to put PS1 games on the Game Boy Color, apparently. But uh, Metal Gear for the Game Boy Color is actually a very good game. It's non-canon, unfortunately, but it's a great game. And when they brought it uh, to the U.S., they just called it Metal Gear Solid. But in Japan, it was called Metal Gear Ghost Babble. Uh, I don't know why they called it that. Uh, it was super cool. Um, it, it was basically marketing purposes, I guess. And the so in the U.S., they were just trying to market it as... Uh, the Game Boy Color version of the same game, which obviously was a huge seller here. Uh, let's see. So moving down, obviously one of the most famous original ones, uh, the original Pac-Man was originally called Puck, was it, well, Pakuman, uh, based on the Japanese onomatopoeia for the sound of a mouth opening and closing, Paku Paku. <laughs> this was romanized to Puck-Man, a name which did not, uh, which did end up on the very first arcade machines, including the ones used at the game's first test location in 1980. But later, Namco, who's the publisher, was laying down plans to bring Puckman to the West, and they were. <laughs> the American distributor noted that the machines could easily be vandalized to say something that rhymes with Puck and starts with F instead of Puck. <laughs> so Namco decided to change the name to Pac-Man, which is still a correct romanization of Pakuman, putting that on later machines. So uh, Puckman was changed to Pac-Man because they were worried that kids playing arcade games in the 80s were going to call it F-Man. <laughs> Which, let's be honest, totally would have happened. Plus, if you look at a P, it's really easy to turn a P into an F. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, that would have been cool. <laughs> that totally would have happened in, like, every Puckman arcade machine here. So whoever that American distributor was... Oh, uh, Midway was the American distributor. So someone at Midway... Uh, Saved a lot of kids from dropping F-bombs. Uh, okay, so uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in a lot of uh, European countries was censored to be Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. So apparently uh, Ninja was considered a taboo subject. And so in a couple places, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise renamed to Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. The video games weren't edited beyond the titles, but the TV show was hit harder. For example, in the UK, uh, Michelangelo's nunchucks were edited out completely and replaced with a grappling hook beyond season three. <laughs> so they did some weird editing stuff for the cartoon, but the game pretty much stayed fine. Um, let's see. Uh, another high-profile victim of the ninja controversy was Ninja Gaiden, which had its first few games renamed to Shadow Warriors in different parts of Europe as well. So apparently ninja in Europe is a bad word. Okay, ninja's bad. Uh yeah so uh so let's start, and let's see um and then there's a couple other ones like uh for instance uh one of the big ones 
uh, and in the states here, people will know that Final Fantasy, and this isn't like a weird one, but Final Fantasy 2 and 3 in the United States are actually Final Fantasies 4 and 6. So if you ever need a, a way to remember, always think of the double, the rule of doubles. Final Fantasy 2 in Japan, or excuse me, Final Fantasy 2 here is Final Fantasy 4 in Japan. Final Fantasy 3 here is Final Fantasy 6 in Japan. The rule of doubles. Always double the US one, that's what it was in Japan for the Super Nintendo. Um, but also, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. So Mystic Quest was a, a Final Fantasy RPG that we got in the States. Clearly they were trying to capitalize on the success of the Final Fantasy name. Because in Japan it was just known as Mystic Quest. Uh, and then, well, in Europe it was called Mystic Quest Legend. Uh, because originally it was supposed to be... Uh, let me take a look here. I want to say, because I always get confused by this. Because it's like, it's so messy and sloppy. But uh, let's see here. Uh, the Final Fantasy series as a whole was no stranger to name changes. As you're just talking about. Um, let's see here. So Final Fantasy Adventure, which is a Game Boy one, was called Mystic Quest in Europe, would go on to become the first game in the Mana series. So Final Fantasy Adventure is actually Secret of Mana 1, technically, which our Secret of Mana 1 is technically Secret of Mana 2, or what we call, moving into the next title, uh, Seiko Densetsu. So that was the series. So that was the Mana series, Seiken Densetsu. So Seiken Densetsu 1 is Final Fantasy Adventure on the Game Boy. Seiken Densetsu 2 is Secret of Mana 1 on the Super Nintendo. And Seiken Densetsu 3 in Japan is our Secret of Mana 2 in the U.S., which never actually came out. You can get it translated uh, on uh, on uh, reproduction cartridges, and you've probably seen it around, and it's an excellent game. Highly recommend playing it. But what a weird way to, like, I don't know, screw everything up. Uh, so Seiken Densetsu, which translates to Legend of the Sacred Sword, or Holy Sword Legend in English. So why they didn't keep that up makes no sense to me. But I, I guess they didn't... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, this one doesn't make a lot of sense to me because they could have had a, a, a string of coherent names. But again, in the U.S., Final Fantasy was big. You want to get that name recognition, so why call it some new name and have to market it all over again? Just call it Final Fantasy. Slap the Final Fantasy name on it, and you're good to go. Which Square has done later on, too, with games on PS1 like Chrono Cross was like a, a was like a hey it's like a sequel to Chrono Trigger even though it's technically not uh Legend of Mana Dawn of Mana uh they 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 so they tried to hit back at that Secret of Mana crowd you know I don't know just eh eh that sort of stuff irritates me cuz they're just trying to do it to get people to buy the games but I guess whatever uh but that's a big one uh and then lastly let's see the last oh there's just two left so the second to last one is a game we got on the PS2 and Xbox called Indigo Prophecy and Indigo Prophecy is actually by Quantic, and Quantic is most recently known. Their, their new game they're working on is called Detroit. Uh, then they worked on uh, Beyond... Oh, my God, what's that called? They did Heavy Rain and Beyond... Oh, my God, what's it called? <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember. Uh, well, whatever. It doesn't matter. I tried to look at my game collection. It doesn't matter. Uh, Beyond Two Souls. It's called Beyond Two Souls, Heavy Rain, and this new one's called Detroit Becoming Human. And so they do these very cool, like, cinematic games where it's almost like playing a movie and you kind of go through and you do whatever. And uh, so one of their first big releases that came out was called Indigo Prophecy. And it's also a very, very good game. It's very cool. Uh, but in Europe, it was released as Fahrenheit. And so when they brought it to the U.S., apparently they didn't want to be conflicted with a documentary film that Michael Moore did called Fahrenheit 911, which also alludes to the 1953 novel called Fahrenheit 451. 
but up, uh, that was released like a year before. So, which is funny because uh, you could argue that Fahrenheit would do better in the U.S. because no, most of the rest of the world doesn't use Fahrenheit as a unit of measurement. So it might have done well here. Although Indigo Prophecy is a very, very cool name still. I have no problem with it. Uh, but along with the name change, the game also had sex scenes in the European version, which uh, content was removed to reduce the rating of the game to mature here. So they actually had to take stuff out of the game, um, as both Sony and Microsoft at the time did not allow adult-only games on their systems. So there were altercations. Now, the game was remastered in 2015 and had all the unedited scenes and everything in there. But uh, And then it was entitled when they re-released it they called it fahrenheit indigo prophecy remastered so they're trying to stick the two names together which i don't hate uh again i don't know why they changed it but indigo prophecy is a sweet name and i don't have any problem with that name changing i think it's a better name so i think we did out better on this one uh and then lastly this is probably the the most well-known most popular is resident evil so originally in japan uh, a game came out called Biohazard. And it was a really cool game about, you know, uh, a police unit being stuck in a mansion, figuring out what's going on. There's a virus that turned people into zombies when they die. And it came out in 1996. It was amazing. So, um, Chris Kramer, who was a senior director of communications, uh, basically a community manager at Capcom US, finally had an answer to the question to why they changed it to Resident Evil. Now, according to him, when the marketing for the game was starting to ramp up in late 84, he himself actually pointed out to the head of marketing that the name Biohazard would never be able to be secured in the United States. He cited an old computer game called Biohazard as a primary reason. Though he was wrong, he was actually probably referring to the game Biomenace that was released by Apogee in 1993 uh, and was known as Biohazard during production, but it didn't actually come out as that name. So that was kind of the reason. Uh... Now, that, now everyone was thinking, oh, does that mean that they messed up and they should have had it called Biohazard? Well, it's possible it still wouldn't have made it through because there was also a hardcore metal punk band called Biohazard that existed in the United States. So it might have been hurdles for them to jump over. So what they did, which I think is really cool, to come up with a new name for the game, the head of marketing ran a company-wide contest, and there was a huge number of entries, but the one that they liked the most was Resident Evil. Uh, now, according to Kramer, he felt it was a clever pun. It was referring to the fact that the game takes place in a mansion, although he himself disliked the name, so he, he didn't like it, but he respected that it was a clever pun. The rest of the marketing crew loved it, though, and were successful in getting the approval from Capcom Japan and series creator Shinji Mikami. Uh, the person they suggested the name was a designer of Capcom's first U.S.-based development studio called Capcom Digital. And so then for 20 years, in the U.S., it's been known as Resident Evil, countless sequels in japan it's been known as biohazard so they've never tried to reconcile the two now here earlier when i was talking about final fantasy while they didn't do a number uh, a name change they had done a number change right well so here since they had done uh and final fantasy they eventually synced it back up with final fantasy 7 so it came out as final fantasy 7 in japan they called it final fantasy 7 here they didn't try to call it final fantasy 4 and try to like keep their their faux timeline going they just said forget it let's call it final fantasy seven and they moved on well resident evil never did that they said let's just keep calling it resident evil here because it's it's popular we can't change the name now and in japan biohazard was huge they can't change the name there but they got clever with the new one so with uh resident evil 7 that just came out in the u.s it's called resident evil 7 biohazard and in japan it's called biohazard 7 resident evil so they're trying to do their best to basically bring the two 
franchises together, which I think is pretty awesome. Uh, and, and that was neat. Uh, so anyway, that's all I wanted to talk about with that. I just thought it was a really cool article and, and just kind of one of those neat history tidbits that you try to understand and and think is pretty cool with uh, when it, with regards to, um, you know, like why names would, games would change names. And marketing was so strange back then. You know, a lot of Japanese companies were trying to figure out how to market to the U.S. They would change things. They would change difficulties on things. They would make them, you know, it was, it was such a weird time because they were trying to figure out our culture, you know, as opposed to opening a U.S. office and letting our U.S. people try to figure that sort of stuff out. And some companies did do that. But a lot of these Japanese companies have a lot of pride that they want to make the product they want to make. And they always wanted Japan to be the first market and everywhere else be second. And so they didn't put as much thought into what the other countries cared about. They made the game for their audience and then let the rest of the world kind of enjoy it. So with that being said, I actually have a listener question this week, which is awesome. Uh, it's from my really good friend, Aaron. He's one of my oldest friends. Uh, we've been hanging out since uh, middle school. And... Uh, so he had a question, and he said, uh, where, were there ever any great games for any of the old obscure systems? I'm thinking 3DO, Atari Jaguar, and TurboGrafx-16, and whatever else was out back then. Were there any gems? So I have to be honest. I'm not super up-to-date with a lot of the obscure systems. I didn't have any of them growing up. And obviously, I sell them at my store, and so I can tell you what other people would say are good. But some of those games I play, and I never had an attachment to them growing up, so I think they kind of suck. But anyway, um, I would say the TurboGrafx-16 especially had lots of very good games. Part of what's very appealing to me about the TurboGrafx-16 and subsequently the Turbo CD is that it was very different from the rest. So a Super Nintendo and Genesis had a lot of the same games, albeit different versions of the same games, like Aladdin and Lion King were different on both systems. They had the same games. TurboGrafx-16 didn't have a Lion King game, but they had Splatterhouse. Uh, and then they didn't have a, a Aladdin game, but they had, you know, all these arcade sort of ports. And they had like a Jackie Chan Adventures uh, game for it. And they had a Soldier Blade. And they had Legend of Hero Tanma. And they had all these other great games that you could only get on that system. So TurboGrafx-16 had a lot of really good stuff on it. I think that system really, quite frankly, was probably the best uh, of the three when it came to unique titles. But it just didn't have as many titles. Uh, and it wasn't it just didn't gain popularity so it couldn't get more titles cuz it couldn't gain more popularity kind of the the old catch 22 um i would argue that uh oh, let's see um on turbo graphics one of the favorite games i have is a game called double dungeon it's like a first person double uh dungeon crawler but it's two player split screen which is really cool uh 3do i can't really think of anything that stands out i mean there's notoriously bad games that you can think of stuff like plumbers don't wear ties and you know, Night Trap and stuff like that that were, but they're not good <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. And they came out on other systems for the most part. Um, But uh, Atari Jaguar, I actually think the Jaguar has no good games. And I might get some flack for that from anyone listening. But I have to tell you, to be honest, people cite one of the best games on the Atari Jaguar as Alien vs. Predator. That game sucks. That game sucks hard. And I'm sorry, it's just not good. It's a first-person shooter that's clunky. And when you kill an alien, he leaves green goop on the floor that hurts you when you walk through it, but you fight in these tiny corridors where you can only kill aliens and there's goop everywhere. Ah! Makes no sense. Alien vs. Predator. God-awful game. Uh, one of the other best games people talk about on the Jaguar is Trevor McFur. It's like a side-scrolling shmup. It's okay, but compared to all the shmups on Turbo Graphics and even Super Nintendo, man, it, like, destroyed anything that was on that. Um, so there are... If you ask me... Not really. Like, there isn't a game that stands out. Like, 3DO had, a, had essentially, you could argue, the definitive version of 
Street Fighter 2 Turbo. You know, it was a CD-based system, so the sound was best. But the controller sucked, so would you rather play it on a 3DO controller? Would you rather play it on a Super Nintendo? Yeah, I'd rather play it on the Super Nintendo, personally. Um, so if you ask me, and again, I didn't grow up with them, so I have a hard time finding if there were any gems out there, and I'm sure there are. Uh, I know if I talk to a few of my customers, they would probably know a lot better. But from my personal experience, I don't look at anything on those systems that are must-haves, with the exception of the TurboGrafx-16. Uh, you had like Arrow Fighters, Bonk's Adventure, Jackie Chan, Legend Hero Tanma, Splatterhouse. Uh, there's lots of cool stuff for Turbo Graphics. Um, and I could argue that there's a lot of really good hidden gems for like Sega Saturn and Sega CD, but those aren't really obscure to be fair. You know, what's really obscure, like what you're talking about, even CDI. CDI had those god awful Legend of Zelda games. None of those are great. I mean, they're obscure, they're rare, they're expensive, and they're neat to have in a collection, but they're not good games. I mean, they're just kind of good shelf pieces i guess something to spark conversation um but yeah so uh so thank you for the question man i really appreciate that and i'd love any questions from anybody else as well uh and then lastly and certainly not leastly is my game recommendation of the week i'm kind of looking over at my game wall here because i actually do this on the fly uh let's see how well this probably will come as no surprise but I'm just going to throw it out there because why not? So the original Nintendo, uh, one of my favorite Nintendo games is Metal Gear. Obviously, one of my favorite game series of all times is Metal Gear. But very much so is the Nintendo version. It's the first one I played. I remember playing it at my cousin's house after we rented it from a, a grocery store. Uh, and it was just, it was mind-boggling to me how cool it was. And there was so much mystery involved and so much stuff like having to pick up an item here and use it somewhere else. And it really hooked me in. Now, many people talk about the Nintendo version being a blasphemous, crappy version compared to the MSX. It is different, but it's not bad by any stretch. It's a great game still. Yes, they made changes. They had to take some liberties, and they changed. there's some really bad translation. There's some horrible stuff in it that way, but it's still a great game. So I highly recommend it. Um, Metal Gear for the NES is just fun. It, it was stealth gameplay before any other games were trying to do stealth gameplay. Uh, it's an interesting story. They, they Kojima's style of messing with you is still apparent in the NES version. And they have a transceiver, which originally they don't tell you, which is a, a secret that Konami used in all of his other games too, uh, other Metal Gear games up to Solid, I believe, was that you didn't know the like you I would I used to go through the the transceiver and change every frequency one dot at a time and try to call somebody just to see if I could find secret ones. And there are a couple secret ones in there, people that'll tell you tips on how to get through the desert and stuff like that. It's just really cool. But anyway, it's 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 a staple of the NES library. It's still great. The soundtrack is just killer. Like I could listen to that. Um, while doing anything else uh and it was just really just really good game box art's cool it's a it's a ripoff of terminator <laughs> the, the box art is straight up uh a, a picture of um oh what's his name from uh like like he gets sent back the first terminator he gets sent back in time to save sarah connor basically and then he ends up uh getting it on with her and then they have john connor is their son in terminator 2 uh it's kyle Kyle Reese. Kyle Reese is his name. So, um, so the cover of Metal Gear is like a scene where they're like, it's like a straight picture ripped out of metal, out of a uh, Terminator with Kyle Reese, like leaning up against a building. How in the hell that was ever allowed or was not picked up and, and like totally ripped off by anybody. I'll never understand, but it wasn't. And, uh, so it makes for a really interesting, uh, really interesting game. 
So uh, anyway, that is the show for today, everybody. As always, I so appreciate you listening. Uh, if you want, you can follow me on Twitter at Bros Insanity. Um, tweet out all kinds of great stuff. Obviously, I have my YouTube channel, The Drop Rate, and the YouTube channel, Game Talk Radio. Those are both good. Game Talk Radio is my personal one. The Drop Rate is one I'm collaborating with with some other guys, doing some great content right now for the Switch. And, uh, and then I'm doing a lot of indie stuff from Steam and new release games is what I'm trying to hit on my channel. So, uh, yeah, so there you have it. That's kind of that. And uh, as always, if you could like, comment, and subscribe, that would really make a big difference for us trying to get noticed on YouTube. Uh, we're just trying to get as many people to watch as we can and just trying to grow this thing as much as we can. Uh, but thank you, as always, for uh, listening, and I hope you all have a great day. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.